Welcome back to another episode of Finding History. I'm your host, Victoria, and this is round two of the tale of Bavarian queer mystery Ludwig II. In this episode, I'm going to go into detail about Ludwig's elaborate palaces and touch more on Ludwig's behavior. Now, take a shot every time I say Ludwig, um, because I say it a lot. And speaking of Ludwig, so I always call him Ludwig, but is it Ludwig or is it Ludwig? I actually quite like the name and um, I, I tend to say it both ways, but I am curious if there is some kind of proper way to say it. I don't know. I'm just going to call him what I call him and whether it be Ludwig or Ludwig, take a shot. So for this episode, I did some reading on each of the palaces and that, you know, Homeboy has quite a bit of palaces. It's ridiculous. And I kind of just uh, looked at the history of the area itself, like the history of Bavaria and kind of the construction process with each of these uh, palaces, especially with Neuschwanstein. Um, I also watched a few travel influencers experiences uh, seeing the castle and I've, I've never been to Germany, so it was helpful to see visuals of the region because photos can only tell you so much as can text. I reached out to a few friends as well uh, who I know had lived or visited Germany at some time in their lives. And fun fact, I actually have quite a few friends who spent time in Germany, so it was pretty easy access for me. And I feel like it has been kind of a mixed bag of opinions on whether uh, Neuschwanstein in particular is worth the hike up the Alps or not. And I'll get into more of that in a bit. And maybe after hearing this episode, you'll be hesitant as well. Or just tell me to leave your beloved Disney-inspired castle alone. And big shout out to Chloe and Jennifer for telling me about their experiences. Uh, both of you really helped with the direction I took for the topic of Ludwig and gave me so much insight into someone I knew next to nothing about. Uh, many thanks for your contribution to my passion project. And, you know, after writing this episode and looking up his castles, it just kind of more kind of like reaffirms that to me, rich people just have way too much money. And it, it, it's insane kind of to think about it because he already, Ludwig already had so much money, like he was born into wealth and he had so much money and he still managed to get into debt, which is just bananas. But when you like, like hear the detail of these palaces and you see them, you, you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, no wonder the dude was broke. So without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and begin. Also, I'm going to attempt to speak a little German in this. Uh, all these have, all these castles have German names and I'm going to be saying a few German phrases. So bear with me. Uh, I do have a little bit of background in German, it's just high school German. So I'm going to do my best with these uh, pronunciations. Ludwig had a variety of palaces and homes he enjoyed. Some of those had been in the Wittelsbach family uh, for years, and some he created to emulate the fables he had loved more than anything. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in the last episode, but Ludwig had shown an interest in architecture uh, from the time he was a small boy as he played with the building blocks he was given, and they were one of the few toys he was allowed to keep. Uh, Ludwig and his family would spend their summers at 
Schloss Hohenschwangau. Schloss means castle, and Hohenschwangau is the high district of the Swan. The castle resides in the Bavarian Highlands, not far from Munich, and not far from Neuschwanstein, which would uh, be Ludwig's infamous creation. Ludwig would tell people that he dreamt of the castle as a young boy while at Hohenschwangau. The castle had been reconstructed by Ludwig's father, Maximilian, in the Gothic Revival style, when he was the crown prince, but the territory has had great significance since the Middle Ages. The walls are adorned with paintings representing the history of the castle grounds, as well as medieval German romances such as Parsifal and the story of Lohengrin, the Swan Knight, by medieval knight and Minnesänger, lyrical poet Wolfram von Eisenbach. The beauty of Bavarian nature and the halls of fables no doubt shape the fantasy realm of Ludwig's dreams. Ludwig and his family all shared a deep love of nature. Maximilian said he never felt better than when he was away in nature, and his mother Marie was an avid hiker who would spend her summer days catching fish and roasting them for her family. Ludwig would continue spending some time at Hohenschwangau, but only when his mother was not present. His mother Marie would use the residence as her primary home once she got older. I am forever curious about Ludwig and his mother's relationship. I kind of feel like that uh, relationship was like so many monarch to child relationships was more like uh, treating children as properties of state uh, before treating them like children. But that's kind of just what I've observed in studying monarchs. So the next spot isn't, uh, I wouldn't call it a castle, but it's, it's definitely luxurious. It's an island home and it's called Rose Island, which is situated on Lake Starnberg. And it's, it's more like a villa, I would say, than a castle. So this villa was commissioned by his father and was one of uh, Ludwig's favorite hiding spots. And this place looks really cool. It, it looks like a floating rose garden on the water. Um, it's super lovely and it looks like a rad place to social distance. Ludwig invited his closest friends to join him while on this island, including the wretched Richard Wagner, uh, his cousin Empress Elizabeth of Austria, and his special friend, aka his boyfriend, uh, Prince Paul of Thurn und Taxis. So, fun fact unrelated to Ludwig, just uh, some information I found while doing some research. Uh, the remains of a prehistoric pile of dwellings rest at the bottom of Lake Starnberg near Rose Island, and they are included in the UNESCO's uh, World Cultural Heritage List. In June of 2011, over 100 selected archaeological sites in several com uh, countries were declared cultural heritage under the heading of prehistoric pile dwellings around the Alps. They provide researchers with unique insights into the ancient world of farming, everyday life, agriculture, animal breeding, and technical innovations. The pile dwelling sites in Lake Starnberg, together with other remains of settlements, represent an archaeological heritage which dates back to 5000 BC. So, I thought that was pretty cool. Just thought you should know. Rose Island was not the only island residence that Ludwig had. Ludwig commissioned a palace on the island of Herren, Herren Insel on Lake Kimsey. This palace would be known as Herren Kimsey, and it was modeled after Versailles. Now, this island has 
also has a really long history, which I thought was pretty cool. So the history of the island goes back to the 7th century. Recent findings discovered um, an early foundation on the island set between uh, 620 and 630 by Burgundian missionary St. Eustace, making it the oldest monastery in the Duchy of Bavaria. There also stood a Benedictine abbey on the northern tip of the island. Construction of the Romanesque Basilica, dedicated to Sixtus and Sebastian, making a mental note to Google those two later, was completed in a 1158. Heron Kimsey Abbey was secularized in 1803, and the cathedral was desecrated in 1807, and the Kimsey uh, Diocese uh, was finally dissolved in 1808. The island was then sold. Uh, various owners demolished the cathedral, uh, sold the interior, and even turned the abbey into a brewery. And King Ludwig II, he actually uh, warded off plans for the complete deforestation of the island um, by a timber trade company, and he acquired the island in 1873. He had the leftover buildings converted for his private use, uh, the complex that later became known as the Old Palace, where he stayed uh, surveying the construction of the new Heron Kimsey Palace. Ludwig's original concept was to have a copy of Versailles uh, built on Heron, Heron Insel uh, in honor of the Sun King uh, Louis XIV of France. Construction began in 1878, and the palace was intended to be um, a monument to absolute monarchy. The architect uh, George Dolman was obliged to study the original model and even reconstruct rooms which had long ceased to exist in Versailles. The Hall of Mirrors in Herod Kimsey was a bit longer than the one in Versailles and was lit by over 1,800 candles. And I bet that was just gorgeous. Uh, the interior is said to be more splendidly furnished than those in Versailles, with a magnificent porcelain collection and unique textiles. The geometrically designed uh, French gardens with their famous fountains represent only a part of what was originally planned but never completed. The palace is surrounded by a naturally landscaped park with old trees. And I think that's just charming. The palace remained incomplete at the time of Ludwig's death in 1886. Ludwig far exceeded his spending, and Heron Kimsey construction cost more than Neuschwanstein and Linderhof combined. Ludwig had only resided on the island castle for 10 days. The island is now uh, home to the King Ludwig II Museum, which documents the life and work of the Bavarian queer mystery. So I am glad that Ludwig saved the island from being destroyed by a timber company, but I hate the idea of ancient ruins being destroyed, whether it's for a monarch's need or the need of some money-making business. Uh, to me, it's a, it's a common theme I see with a lot of European monarchs destroying, destroying the old and precious and replacing it with new and extravagant. I, I see it in the States, too, and I hate it. And I'll touch more on the, that topic in a minute. So the next one is pretty darn cool and would be perfect for someone who just loves being in the mountains. And please forgive me for saying this, but I do not know how to pronounce this. And I looked high and low, and I could find no pronunciation. So I think I'm just going to say it how it looks. Uh, Koenig House um, Schatchen. 
so the king's house on the Shachen. The Kunik house was a Ludwig's Mountain Lodge. A wooden building with a rather modest exterior conceals a hall on the upper floor furnished with items inspired by Orientalism. The lodge can only be reached by foot as it is high in the mountains. It includes a lavishly decorated Turkish hall furnished with a divans and a fountain. The lodge is based on a historic hall in the palace of Iyup, erected by Sultan Selim III in the late 18th century. Ludwig had seen images of it in his youth and became enchanted by the gilded, richly decorated walls and finely detailed textiles. The lodge also includes colorful glass windows, incense burners, and candelabra. Ludwig celebrated his late August birthday at the lodge. He dressed his servants in oriental costumes. I don't know what that means, but I can only imagine the levels of inappropriateness that included. Um, I sure wish the king paid for all the numerous costume changes his servants had to make, because that better not have come out of their wages. Ludwig insisted him and his servants smoke hookahs and drink tea to celebrate his birthday. Now that part doesn't sound half bad. Next up, we got Linderhof Palace, and this place is fancy. This place was Ludwig's favorite residence. It was finished in 1878 and would be the only one a Ludwig would have completed during his lifetime. It is the smaller of all of his palaces, but it has a rich ornamental facade. The interior is radiant gold and bright mirrors, wall hangings, paintings, and crystal chandeliers. It comes complete with a beautifully landscaped park. The symbol of the sun can be found everywhere in the decoration of the rooms, represents the French notion of absolutism that, for Ludwig, was the perfect incorporation of his ideal of a God-given monarchy with total royal power. Such a monarchy could no longer be realized in Europe in the second half of the 19th century. The bedroom was important to the ceremonial life of an absolute monarch. Louis XVI of France used to give his first and last audience of the day in his bedchamber. In imitation of Versailles, the bedroom is the largest chamber in the Linderhof Palace. By facing north, however, the Linderhof bedroom inverts the symbolism of its Versailles counterpart, showing Ludwig's self-image as the Moon King. Linderhof, in comparison to other palaces, has a rather private atmosphere. In fact, there are only four rooms that have a real function. The dining room is famous for its disappearing table called a Tischlein Deck Dich, and this table was installed so that Ludwig could dine alone here. Yet the staff had to lay the table for at least four persons, because it is said that the king used to talk to imaginary people, like louis the 15th or marie antoinette while he was eating so the table was would start i believe like it would start lowered in the kitchens and then the servants would load it up and then once it came time for the monarch to eat he would uh bring the table up and so it was set before him but he didn't have to see anybody the gardens surrounding linderhof palace are considered some of the most beautiful gardens in creation and they were designed by court garden director Carl von Effner, and the park combines elements of 
Renaissance and Baroque formal gardens with landscaped sections that are similar to uh, the English garden landscape. And everybody loves the English gardens. Gotta love a good English garden. Linderhof is also home to the infamous Venus Grotto. The building itself is wholly artificial and was built as an illustration for the first act of Wagner's Tonghauser, but it also reproduces the motif of the Blue Grotto in Capri by means of artificial illumination in various colors. The grotto today is prone to entrapped moisture and mold and has undergone various methods to reduce harm um, to the structure. The grotto is currently under construction and won't be open to the public for another four years, which may be around the time that we can all travel again. The Venus Grotto is also home to neighboring bats from the area, so watch out y'all. The Linderhof Palace Gardens also include a Moorish kiosk which, uh, in which Ludwig installed a peacock throne, a Moroccan house, and a hut called Hunding's Hut which was inspired by Richard Wagner's first act of the Die Valkyrie. All right, let's start talking about Neuschwanstein. So, prior to its construction, there were two medieval fortress ruins that the Alps had overtaken. And I only found one image um, that I will be sharing on my Instagram. And this image made me a little sad, I'm not going to lie. As someone who loves all things medieval, the thought of someone destroying any medieval ruin makes me want to scream. I, I think seeing ruins in snowy Alps would have been breathtaking, and dare I say, more beautiful than the current castle. So already when I learned that there were ruins on, on top of that place before, before there was the castle, I was like, uh, do I like this castle? I don't know. But Ludwig, being the absolute monarch dreamer that he was, wanted something more extravagant and a romanticized version of the medieval past. And I, you know, I disagree with Ludwig in this creation. I think for someone who claimed to love both the nature of the Alps and relics of the past, or I guess maybe an idealized version of the past, I think disposing of the castle ruins was a catastrophic loss and you know Ludwig's life was kind of loss of self and his extreme isolation was it's hard to say what his extreme isolation was because there's like so many factors that go into it but I think I kind of touched base on this on the last episode I feel like when someone consumes so much and cover like covets so much there's something that's not being fulfilled and something that's not being uh, taken care of, I guess. I don't know what the correct word is. Either way, I feel like he had to just create these like elaborate palaces to hide something or to mask himself from the world. And that's sad, you know, it's sad when your your interest are muddled by your fears. Neuschwanstein would be an embodiment of Richard Wagner's operas. Its name means New Swanstone Castle. Ludwig had written Wagner of the location of his castle, and he had told him that the location is one of the most beautiful to be found, 
holy and unapproachable, a worthy temple for the divine friend who has brought salvation and true blessing to the world. The castle was planned from the inception as an intentionally asymmetric building and erected in consecutive stages. The building design was drafted by stage designer Christian Jank and constructed under architect Eduard Rydell. Ludwig insisted on approving each and every draft before construction could begin. His control went so far as to regard the palace as his own creation rather than the architects involved. The medieval fortress ruins were demolished in 1868 and the foundation stone was laid the following year. Materials came from all over Europe, but mostly neighboring countries. The shapes of the castle are Romanesque and Gothic, with Byzantine architecture used for the throne hall. The operatic themes of the castle moved gradually from Tonghausa to Lohengrin to Parsifal. Ludwig increasingly identified himself with Parsifal, the legendary medieval figure who became Grail King through his purity and faith and thereby redeemed his sinful uncle. The inner battle for freedom from sin and purity is distressingly evident in the diaries of the extremely pious king. This particular legend is the subject of Richard Wagner's last work, Parsifal. Wagner and his circle privately referred to the king as Parsifal, and his problems were incorporated into the drama of the Grail. Neuschwanstein, originally a monument to the Menezingas of medieval times, was reinterpreted as the Castle of the Holy Grail, and the throne room was redesigned as the Hall of the Holy Grail, dedicated to the mystery of salvation for the world. For nearly two decades, the construction site was the principal employer of the region. Now, some argue that this was a good thing because it brought many jobs to the region. However, I am always suspicious when someone says creating jobs to benefit the rich and powerful is a good thing. Now, I openly admit I have no idea what the economy was like for Bavaria at the time. I don't know how low-income populations fared or anything of the sort, so perhaps the creation of these castles created a, a desired employment market versus something that is harmful to benefit the rich. I don't know, uh, but in the States, I'm always, you know, I'm always side-eyeing the prospect of job creation when those jobs only serve to make someone richer. However, Ludwig was beloved by the working classes of Bavaria, so perhaps they were down, they were super down, to create this elaborate theater palace for their king. In 1880, about 200 craftsmen occupied the site. At times when the king insisted on particularly closed deadlines and urgent changes, sometimes there would be up to 300 workers on site working nightly by oil lamps. In 1870, a society was founded for insuring the workers for a low monthly fee augmented by the king. There were 30 mentioned cases of people getting hurt on the job in which those families received an additional small pension. The castle has a walled courtyard, an indoor garden, romantic spires and towers, and also an artificial cave. Neuschwanstein was equipped with running water and had a forced air central heating system. The dining room is serviced by an elevator from the kitchen three stories below. 
Ludwig made sure the castle was connected with telephone lines, even though the phone lines were still a rarity at that time. In 1884, the king was able to move into the still unfinished castle, and the external structure was completed in 1886, but the castle as a whole has remained unfinished ever since Ludwig's death. Despite its large size, Neuschwanstein was never intended to entertain a royal court. It only contained the king's private lodgings and servants' rooms. The king had insisted that his servants wear clothes inspired by the court of French king, you know who this is, Louis XIV. Again, I hope this costume budget was fully funded by Ludwig. The court buildings are decorative rather than residential. The concert hall was the largest room in the palace. The palace was intended merely to serve King Ludwig as an inhabitable theatrical setting. Richard Wagner died before its construction was complete and Ludwig had every piano in his palaces draped with black fabric. In the end, Ludwig only lived in the palace off and on for 172 days. Ludwig's constant demands were a large part of the reason why the palace was never finished. However, Neuschwanstein is a reflection of Ludwig's dreams and his um, uh, desired need for perfection in his projects. An example can be seen in his comments or commands regarding a mural depicting Lohengrin in the palace. His majesty wishes that the ship be placed further from the shore, that Lohengrin's neck be less tilted, that the chain from the ship to the swan be of gold and not of roses, and finally, that the style of the castle shall be kept medieval. The eastern narrow side is terminated by a stage that is structured by arcades and known as the Zangerlaub, the Hall of Singers, was never designed for court festivities of the reclusive king. Rather, like the throne hall, it served as a walkable monument in which the culture of knights and courtly love of the Middle Ages was represented. And I think I got this right, but the throne room is uh, surrounded by paintings of Jesus, uh, the Twelve Apostles, and six canonized kings. The six canonized kings being uh, St. Louis of France, uh, St. Stephen of Hungary, St. Edward the Confessor of England, St. Uh, Winchelschloss of Bohemia, St. Olaf of Norway, and St. Henry, the Holy Roman Emperor. The mural paintings were created by Wilhelm Hauschild. Uh, the floor mosaic was completed after the king's death. The chandelier is fashioned after a Byzantine crown, and the throne hall makes a sacral impression. I think it should be noted, too, the Grail Hall from uh, Parsifal has a symbol of the divine, or I don't know if it has or it is a symbol of the divine right of kings, and it's an incorporation of unrestricted sovereign power, which uh, we all know Ludwig had a boner for absolute monarchy. And I do wonder if Ludwig uh, had, if he had actually had absolute power, what would Bavaria have looked like? Would the region be a monument to medieval times? Would he have invested more in the arts and culture and not just his dumpster fire friend Wagner? Who knows? Let's talk for a minute about Walt Disney and his inspirations uh, for Disneyland based off of Neuschwanstein. 
Everyone knows uh, Disney was enchanted with the palace, and one can see why. At first sight, the castle looks almost mythic, especially around the vast surrounding forest. It it just looks like a fairy tale. Uh, but I do think that Disney was impressed and taken with Ludwig's reign um, and the Bavarian region itself. I think Ludwig was an engineer and architect, perhaps not in his method, but in his mania. He is a creator and a visionary. And it would make sense that Disney would be taken away by the life of Ludwig and his uh, gaudy creations. And when I was looking at images of of these places, of these palaces, and just of Bavaria itself, they all kind of reminded me a bit of uh, 1960s vintage Disney park rides. So in saying that, I feel like everyone always says uh, Neuschwanstein was Disney's uh, inspiration for Sleeping Beauty's castle. And I, I completely agree with you, with anyone who says that. Um, but I do think that it was more so he was inspired by Bavaria and the reign of Ludwig himself. Ludwig used the latest technology to create elaborate coaches and sleighs. He had a golden carriage designed that reminds me of um, Cinderella's pumpkin carriage, uh, except Ludwig's was all in gold. And Ludwig was nocturnal and only came out once the sun set, uh, giving himself the name of the Moon King. And I can only imagine what it would have been like being in Bavaria and stepping out at night to feed your hog or drink some ale or whatever Bavarians did at the turn of the century. And around the corner, you see your king just uh, driving around in a gilded as gilded carriage. And it, it's no wonder, even just seeing that, uh, it's no wonder how folks associate him with fairy tales. The dude was wild and elusive and only came out at night like some uh, disenchanted king. As the king got older, his health began to deteriorate. The diet of sweets gave him the worst tooth decay, and he would suffer from severe pain. His doctors prescribed him these tonics that were probably just opium juice and some other various rich person drugs of the time. And some folks believe that this these tonics could have caused Ludwig to become mentally unhinged. And I don't think that was the cause of his behavior, but the drink itself probably didn't help. Um, aside from opium juice, I did read that he would partake in opium use uh, when in the company of his actor lover um, that I mentioned the last episode, Josef Kanz. And speaking of the actor, um, I had said they spent two weeks together at Linderhof, but I just watched this 80s documentary about Ludwig, and the narrator said they were together off and on for two years, and Linderhof was their palace of choice to stay, but it had been about two years, not two weeks. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know who's right. I don't know who's wrong. Whatever. Um, Kahn's even accompanied Ludwig to Switzerland on a couple of occasions. Uh, they also said, the narrator, the 80s narrator, they also said that Kahn's eventually became scared of Ludwig's rage and he left him. Um, I had my suspicions that Ludwig was likely to be an erratic lover and a partner. And so hearing that, Again, I don't know if it's true, but hearing that, I was like, okay, that makes sense. 
So I read this story about Ludwig and his mom about one of the few times she stayed at Neuschwanstein, and I think she actually might have only stayed there one time. Apparently, she had spent the evening there, and the following morning, she had waited outside so he could see her off. He never showed up, and she had waited over an hour and became increasingly irate. He eventually stumbled out, and she slapped him numerous times before the, an audience of servants. Uh, they clearly had a very wonderful relationship. Due to its secluded location, Neuschwanstein survived the destruction of two world wars. The Nazi party used the castle to catalog the works of art they had stolen, and in 1945, April of 1945, they considered blowing up the palace to prevent the building itself and the artwork from falling in enemy hands. I'm also going to remind you again, Richard Wagner was an anti-Semite, and for more information on that, please listen to the previous episode, or just Google the guy. Wagner was horrible, and he was known for being Hitler's favorite composer. There are even rumors that Wagner's music played at a few of the concentration camps, which is really disgusting to hear. Uh, personally, Wagner, uh, Wagner's dedication and the Nazi ties are some of the many reasons why I don't think I would ever enter Neuschwanstein. So this is where some of you will greatly disagree with me, but after reading more on this palace and seeing detailed images of the interior, I gotta say this place is not my jam. It is too gaudy for me, and the fact that it does not have real utility or function is odd to me and wasteful, in my opinion. And I'm a believer in vibes. I don't know if I believe in spirits exactly, but I do believe when there is sadness, violence, or some sort of internal or external chaos that that energy manifests. And I feel like Neuschwanstein would be too much bad energy coming at me. Ludwig built these palaces because he could. He was a rich man who, who was born into wealth and power. And he used all of that to his advantage. I believe he did suffer at the same time with his identity as a queer person and also the lack of love and nurturing he was denied from a very young age. My friend Chloe, who I mentioned earlier, said she did not like the castle and saw it as this uh, horrid smog creature on the top of a cliff. And if you aren't familiar with smog, he is uh, the dragon from The Hobbit who stole the mountain kingdom from the dwarves and is described as a most specially greedy, strong, and wicked worm. I have to say, I am in full agreement with Chloe. This place gives me absolutely bad vibes. And people can tell me all they want how beloved Ludwig was by the working classes, but look at how he spent his money. Now, I don't think there's such a thing as a good monarch. But I think if someone wants to be a compassionate, good leader, then the key to that is to not hoard your wealth and to not uh, and to share it and invest in your uh, community and your culture. And I think, you know, it, it sucks that there was a lot of sadness in Ludwig's life, but just think about all the good he could have done for so many people, um, not even in his own region, but in regions beyond Bavaria. I also just refuse to see the castle because, well, 
I, ref I should say I refuse to see the castle interior like I refuse to step foot in the castle because I don't agree with his wrecking the two medieval fortresses that once stood there. I would have absolutely loved to hike the, those uh, medieval ruins, but guess I can't do that. If I do ever make it to Bavaria, I would still like to hike uh, to the bridge that is across from the castle. And I, I have this kind of pictured in my head. I would go in the winter, in the very early morning when no one was around, and I'd watch the castle from afar, kind of like a sleeping giant amid the forest. But that is the closest I would get. I would just watch it as the snow was falling. Ludwig's castles were never intended to serve the public, nor would they have been allowed access to the palace grounds. Shortly after Ludwig's death, the palaces were opened for tourism, and the amount Ludwig spent on the building on building them was paid back almost immediately, and then some. Which, if you think about it, Ludwig is responsible for generating income for Bavaria long after his own death. Don't get me wrong, like the region, the Bavarian region is gorgeous, of course, and I would love to see it. But millions of people around the world have fallen in love with his castles, in uh, Neuschwanstein in particular. I do wonder uh, what Ludwig would have thought if he had known that millions of people had come from all across the globe just to see his palaces. And I know he was a reclusive king and he didn't like crowds, but I have to wonder, maybe after the initial terror set in and subsided, would he, you know, feel appreciation? Would he feel pride in his creations? I don't know. It's hard to say. So I think this is going to be my last episode of the year. I like that I am ending this year with a show about an isolationist and a dreamer. Ludwig may have been a lot of things. You will never hear me describe any monarch as being without flaws or being a good monarch. But I think Ludwig's life had a lot of sadness and he sought connection with music and art. I have enjoyed learning about Ludwig, and I hope you all have enjoyed listening. I do think that Ludwig has become, I have kind of a soft spot for Ludwig, and he has become one of my favorite monarchs. What will the next year bring us? I do not know. My hope is healing and care. My heart goes out to those who have experienced a loss this year. Please know that you are not alone in this pain and it did not have to be like this. We will be able to embrace once more, but until then, we must take care of each other. For this podcast, I plan to continue my focus on moments from our past that shaped who we are today. I will tell whole stories, I will speculate and divulge, I will find people's truths, and I will continue to listen and grow. I will leave you with a quote from mother of the century, Ludwig's mother, Marie. Ludwig enjoyed dressing up. He took pleasure in play acting, loved pictures and the like, and liked making presents of his property, money, and other possessions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Finding History. I'm your host, Vittoria, and I'm wishing you a happy Christmas, happy holidays, and may your new year be pleasant and bright.